Hey everyone, this is Arnold Bjorn with One Welcome. Welcome back to another episode of Weekly Welcome, where we interview Asian American chef owners, restaurateurs, and founders. Today, we're sitting down with Eric, and Eric is the co-owner and operating partner of Bone Kettle in Old Town, Pasadena, Southeast Asian restaurant. He runs it with his uh, chef brother Erwin, and his dad, their dad rather, um, can be seen roaming the dining halls as well. So it's entirely family-owned and operated. And they got a really resilient immigrant story of how they came over here.、Uh, they come from Indonesia, and so that's where you'll see a lot of that influence at that restaurant. But it's a terrific restaurant. I've always had great meals there.、I、actually, dined indoors for the first time after I interviewed Eric. So it was a really great、uh, full circle experience, and I cannot recommend enough. In the meantime, I want to share with you the conversation I had with Eric. So, without further ado. This is Eric with Bone Kettle, dude. I'm so happy to have you on this show. I think we、Thank、we、you. connected in person. We connected for the first time in person over udon, <laughs> marigami udon in Satel. <laughs> That seems like a year ago now, but um, that's the mark of a true friendship. Yeah, I hope you you've been well. Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. and um, you know, you shared a little bit about your story when we first met, and I I. I literally bookmarked you in my head. I'm like, when I come back with the <laughs> podcast, I'm going to interview this guy because you're so fascinating to me,、um, and I think a lot of other people listening will find it fascinating as well. But I think something that's really important for us to dive into before we we get to anything is a little bit about how you grew up, at least, or, or the environments in which you grew up. So because I find it really interesting, I think it shapes a lot of us,、uh, whether you know it or you don't. Subconsciously, so tell us a little bit about your story, about your immigrant story, how you came here, and、uh, maybe just growing up in LA, just a little quick history、yeah. on that. I was born in Indonesia.、Um, I would consider, I think, our family is Chinese descent, Indonesian. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We moved here in 1995、um, during a lot of kind of un- uncertainties. There's like a, a bunch of bombings. There's just like a just a lot of uncertainties and chaos. Wow, back home.、Mm-hmm. And so we moved here as an as a refugee asylee. So just imagine,、uh, like like twenty people in one in one little group. So we all moved together. It was just the day that I moved to the U.S. was the day that I found out、mm. that I moved. So it was like a, a huge topsy turvy of emotion and、um, finding, you know, a cultural identity in like a foreign place with limited language capability, right? Um, all of us had very little English、um, ability to connect with people, and、um, and we landed in、uh, in the middle of、um, East LA,、um, mm-hmm. you know, and then later on in Monterey Park, which had you know I think has a, a like the largest Asian immigrant population, thankfully. So that was a huge resource for us. And I went to school in Montebello, which is a predominantly Hispanic.、Um, Population,、mm-hmm. and so it was a very colorful、um, new beginning in the U.S. for me. You know, I think growing up, being exposed to so many different,、uh, I think, variation. Because when you think of America,、um, you think of Cosby Show, you think of Full House. <laughs> when you're in a foreign country, you、yeah. have this you have this perception of America as San Francisco. <laughs> yeah, I don't do, know、actually. why you do but, actually. Like, yeah, you you do you do, and then so. When you arrive in East LA, it's a completely <laughs> different viewpoint, right?、That's、I just、fair. remember thinking, like, "Wow,、um, there's no dirt in the U.S. because people are wearing their shoes on their beds." You know, 
Um, so I just remember thinking, wow, I want to be, I mean, that's an aspirational uh-huh. uh, kind of place to be. Oh, and, um, you know, and then, then when we ended up moving here, it was like, wow, I'm looking forward to this, like, extremely clean, <laughs> extremely, um, there's like beautiful little Victorian houses. <laughs> <laughs> um, and people wear shoes in their home, oh, you know, funny. and it was further than the truth. Obviously, it's a quite different. Yeah. Um, you know, and and I I'm grateful because it, it really shaped who I am today. Mm. So yeah, I mean, so because you were probably one of the few, if not the only Asian, you know, in the in the school school programs growing up. Yes. Were you ever in terms of your Asian descent and your heritage? Were you like proud to be different, or did you want to fit in? I think I've been so lucky through my life that I've been always kind of eccentric that I've always been an outsider mm. um, there are people who are um, kind of very visibly unique that they get picked on yeah I was so far off the wall <laughs> that no one bothered me <laughs> That's amazing. Um, and being Indonesian too we were we were so I like my cousins were my only peers like in terms of who I can speak oh, to wow. my native language right? yeah. so I didn't have a community where I can speak a different language I mean even if we were in ESL program. We were at the ESL program. We were learning and retaining our language at the same time. That was yep. like a really great program, by the way. No, they don't exist anymore. Um, so it's basically when you're doing a book report or doing any type of lessons, you have to continue to translate it into your language. Yep. Continue to like retain your your native language. And I literally was the only person that was handling like was you know I was grouped with like the Cantonese. Oh students. sure. You know sure. what I mean? Sure. sure. Um, so it it was pretty. Uh, very unique experience because if you're a Chinese speaker, a Mandarin speakers, or if you're a Spanish speakers, I mean, they have a community mm. of people that they can share their journey mm. of becoming transitioning, you know, into acclimation. But we, I mean, I literally just relied on myself. Um, <laughs> I think um, we were also, uh, we grew up, I mean, we were homeless initially when we came. Wow. So we were definitely on a food stamp, you know. Wow. What I mean? So um, I I know in your previous episodes, like all these like really awesome entrepreneurs had to like had to share their grief about how, like what their moms had to bring, but how to like prepare. Yeah, and the lunchbox. Open it up, and it was like, oh my god, the yeah. lunchbox experience. Like I didn't even have lunchboxes <laughs> that my mom prepared. <laughs> we didn't have any money. For real, yeah. my parents were working. That's crazy, you know, man. My mom worked in the grocery store. My dad worked in the warehouse. Sometimes delivering pizza out throughout. So we were left with hot pockets like for dinner yeah, or man. McDonald's sometimes like we had to fend for ourselves. So yeah. I, I didn't even have the luxury of being embarrassed. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. To bring talk. my own food, which actually there's not a lot of resource. Like, okay, now today there's a lot of businesses that mm. do Indonesian um, kind of mom and moms yep. and pops, mm-hmm. but like there really isn't a lot of places that, and my mom wasn't a cook. So she, she didn't know mm. how to make great authentic Indonesian cuisine. Yep. Like she, yeah. We grew up middle middle class, upper middle class in Indonesia. So we had servants, we had we had cooks. So the contrast of the struggle is real. Yeah, the contrast of saying. us being here yep. and having complete nothing. So I I was on a free lunch program. Yep. You know, I had this little milk with a little pouch. Yep. Um, I had manudo like one, every Wednesday. Because <laughs> it again, it's a predominantly Hispanic yep. um, population. So majority of the menus were catered to uh the kids, you know, that were predominant. Mm. We had, you know, cheeseburger Friday. Mm. You know, it was just like a normal thing for me. Like it, we ate whatever everybody else ate. 
um, I was pretty much invisible because my culture was not didn't even exist or relevant or people know what it is. Yep. Um, the only time that it comes up is like when my teachers would champion me, like, "Oh, look at how interesting his background is. Like, can you tell me a little bit about where you come from, what your story is?" Like, that's like that's right. the extent of people's interest right. in like what what I am and what I do mm. because we, I was on my own. I was in laser focus mode and. I just didn't really have time to like relate to other people, and you know, it was such a, an, it sounded kind of antisocial, but I was not a unhappy person. Like I was actually a pretty happy person. That's good. And I, I just, I just happened to be very off the wall. Like I, yeah. my own thing, and I was happy to be an outsider. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> you know, by default, you know, no, and I appreciate surviving. that, man. That's 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 that real talk. Sense. Yeah, of, of course, of course. <laughs> Wait, but you mentioned like laser focus. What were you so laser focused on? Like, what was your aspiration or goal at the? I think to get out of to, to mm. get out of poverty. Mm. You know, like my parents were extremely driven because they had to survive. Like, yep. they were working nonstop. My mom had to take the bus, like two transfers to get to her destination. You have to like leave super early. You know, if you're, if you know, grocery workers, like they have to open very early. She worked in the seafood section. So uh, making sushi for like the Ralph's and like, the oh, whole really? so like wow. it's, it was very difficult um, mm. because she would even bring boxes of like things that she has to stick her at home. Like it was just, there's no overtime back then. You know what I mean? Just, yep. just kind of like everybody just do whatever they, they need to do. Um, my dad worked like three or four jobs. Like he was just, just trying to make it and, you know, make, make us like not have to remember that we have to work. Like they never let us work. That's, that's the thing too. Mm. So they, they've really kind of let me kind of survive on my own, which I really appreciate that. Like the, the lack of micromanagement, Mm. you know? Um, so I kind of just like dive deep into just being involved, being, being uh, active like yeah. i was in everything in school right yeah. and i i try to engage myself and 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 be and also my parents didn't expect me to go to college mm. that's the thing too like they actually didn't um they didn't even know what would that would do for me <laughs> wow see your story is very different from most people i've interviewed you know I they just, had no um yeah. they have no goals and dreams about what i should be doing wow completely <laughs> because autonomy. they're just trying to survive and I also happened to be lucky mm. that I was surrounding myself with incredibly smart people. Mm. I actually like my peers were like, there was a witch, there was a um, the uh, valedictorian of the group. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? There was somebody who is like an old soul and who wanted to to live in the seventies. So like, th- my group was like a completely eclectic. Like freaks and geeks, you know, like yeah. back then, wow. but it wasn't cool. You know what I mean? No, it's cool. Um, and yeah. so, but the, everybody was driven and they all wanted to get out. They mm. all wanted to have aspiration. They're mm. all literate. And it kind of inspired me. I was like, you know what? I want to do something big, you know? And I was the art person in the group. Like oh, I, gotcha. I painted throughout high school, throughout college, and I wanted to be an artist, mm. but um, I didn't know how that could even translate into money or success. Mm. Um, so I never like even, you know, I just didn't even have any guidance, to be honest with you. It's just, it's just about kind of pursuing um, my passion and really what I was good at. Yeah, yeah. Well, so, you know, fast forwarding a little bit, right? And I think a lot of this story ties into what you do now, but people now know you as a partner in Bone Kettle. Many people may not know this, but you're actually a VP at Sony Music, which is crazy. Um, 
tell me a little bit about just really quickly what you did prior to Bone Kettle. And I know you had your lessons that you learned and failures that you had to overcome. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That was the first um, time you did it. So I started in the food business as an accident. Um, my brother is a chef. He's my business partner for life. Um, he, you know, he was working at Hotel Bel Air with a few colleagues. And when the recession hit, they were laid off from their jobs and they started thinking like, maybe we should sell hot dogs mm. um, out there. And we ended up landing a taco truck by accident, thinking that that would be a more viable solution because there's a shelter situation. This is during the Kogi years. Mm. Um, so it was like the beginning of that Kogi barbecue stuff. Actually, to this day, our business was always confused because we have a similar name, Komodo. And um, they we were all kind of coming up together and people mm. would confuse us for one another. It is what it is. Um, but anyways, long story short, uh, you know, that was the beginning of my food career, you know, and diving into it, but I, you know, kind of helping out a little bit by a little bit and then kind of getting into it deeper because there was a need, you know, they needed, they needed people to kind of run on a business side or just kind of thinking about creative marketing and all that. So that's, that's really was my role. Um, And bone kettle, you know, kind of happened to be my, my brothers, um, you know, we were about five, six years in, into the taco business, Mm -hmm. he became super, super just, um, disheartened, you know, like just completely like, what is my career? I I'm, I'm making the same food every single day, Right, right. a machine, you know, I'm an artist. Like I, I definitely Mm. don't want to be labeled the taco burrito king, you know, like the rest (laughs) of my life. Yeah. Like I, he, he came from like fine dining background and restaurant, whatever, like, so to him, like, where's that kind of middle ground area where mm. I can still have the casualness? Um, but I still, and we're not even talking about our food. Like, you know, we were we were doing tacos. So, like, we weren't even talking about food that we grew up in. We wanted to find authenticity. So, right. like, Bone Kettle was really, was born out of, like, a little bit of a fatigue, you know, in the beginning. Mm. And, like, a re-inspiration. Mm. Um, he took a break and a little bit of a sabbatical. He went back to Asia and did, like, a whole month of travel. Yep. He took back, like, a whole, like, culinary journal and really kind of, like, I want to tap into this. Like, this is something that is, like, so inspiring for me. And it really mm. makes me want to live to cook again. Mm. And and I wanted to support that. So that's kind of, like, the the birth of Bone Kettle. And, and um, we ended up kind of parting ways with Komodo after that because it was it became like a full-time endeavor you know yep. it was something that needed like both of our attentions and you know it was uh, a really big undertaking absolutely um because l- little did i know just because you did a quick fast casual concept it didn't mean that it translated into a sit down yeah <laughs> even if totally it's like different. a yep. polished casual s- space it was still such a huge learning curve mm. little did i know <laughs> mm. and then on the flip side i've actually always worked in marketing and i i've I've carried a full-time job throughout my entrepreneurial endeavor Mm. um and i've always lived this dual life Mm. um so i graduated from ucsd um with art and communication Mm -hmm. and i thought i wanted to do banking Mm. and i did that for like a bit but then felt like wow like i I want to explore something on more creative you know and and more critical and you know and i can always fall back into this if i don't find it successful and so little did i know like it just kind of kind of uh it's a rabbit hole you know like i got into an ad agency right and then i got into a bunch of startups and then um i landed at fandango 
um, which was a startup at the time, and it mm-hmm. kind of completely rocket shipped. Mm-hmm. Um, it got acquired. There was acquisition, and, and then um, I worked at NBC for um, for the remainder of my time there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I learned a lot, and and then from then on, you know, my kind of career was building, and um, that's kind of where I landed at Sony Music, uh, leading a new division. Um, they wanted to lean on my expertise in startup. Uh, digital video and um, brand partnerships, and and really kind of wanted to start a new division within the company, and mm. you know to sell to sell their premium global artist inventory. So that's mm-hmm. kind of like where I landed there. Mm-mm-mm-mm. Awesome. I mean, yeah, there's there's so much to unpack, but I guess the first thing, <laughs> right, is since we're talking about Bone Kettle, and you know the location is so interesting. You're in Old Town Pasadena, which honestly is is you talk about aspirational that's an aspirational neighborhood right for a lot of people yeah um i'm just so curious how you landed on that space and that location so when we um when we initially thought about where we wanted to place this we we wanted something that was unique and we wanted a neighborhood place mm. um growing up um as i mentioned i was i was growing up in the east la neighborhood we would take the bus and it would take like an hour to go to Pasadena. Mm. And we didn't have any money. So our recreation when we were kids were to just do window shop in Old Town. Mm. And we would be walking around wow. and we didn't even, we couldn't even afford anything that was selling. Yeah. So to me, that memory was extremely um, like vivid. Mm. It imprinted me, you know, mm. as, a, as a kid. And I've always like dreamed that one day I'm going to leave my mark here and I'm going to have a space that inspired the next generation. Wow. And to me, that was really important to have something like Bone Kettle where it's a celebration of our story and our cuisine in a perspective of somebody who's living here mm. and who is taking that narrative themselves. Because there's a lot of people out there um, and of course they're inspired, whatever, like, they're not. They're non-Southeast Asian who are inspired by their cuisine, and they're actually making food that are kind of reinterpretation of the classics, mm-hmm. and then they're serving, you know, the general market community, right? Yeah. But they're taking our story, yep, and our culinary recipes, and they're tweaking it and they're making it themselves, right? Yep. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not like, oh wow, that's like colonialism, whatever. Like, I'm, I, I'm. Listen, like, you know, we did tacos too, so I'm guilty of it too. <laughs> if I were the, if I, if I call that like, oh, that's like a cultural, you know, imperialism, whatever, then I shouldn't be doing what I was doing before. Sure, too. sure. So like, it's a free country. It's a capitalist community, you know, society, and America is built on layers of culture coming interacting with one another that's mm. just part of what the fabric of america is right mm. so like to me i just want to take my narrative my own narrative and i wanted to do things that was authentic to who we are and being authentic was like a huge thing you know now like mm. but it was but back then it was like something new like it was like why would you want to do oxtail soup you mm. know as like a premier offering that was unheard of. Why would you even want to do bone broth as like your masterpiece that you showcase in the restaurant? Like I understand steak. I understand, you know, like maybe yeah. a selection of seafood that you're going to do like catch of the day and all that. Why, why these things, mm. you know? And so to me, I feel like it was a challenge that was worth taking. Yep. Also um, in an aspirational neighborhood that I really feel passionate about. 
um, because I saw that Pasadena was in this turnaround cycle mm. where, you know, back then when we were growing up, it was very uh, waspy, right? Yep. It was very uh, kind of old school. It has a lot of that like classic Americana vibe, but it's really turning into the new nouveau riche, like Chinatown. Mm. And to me, it was like, wow, they needed an offering that's different than like a dim sum place where they can enjoy this like exotic vacation, you know, of mm. Southeast Asian dishes in an inspired, familiar setting, but different. It challenges them, but it also has some comfort aspect mm. to it. Mm. And to me, and it's accessible where they can come in, you know, like on a Monday and don't feel guilty. Like I'm having a great, you know, glass of wine and I have a great dish here. I don't have to eat a whole platter of feast. I can eat like the broth and the noodle and then have a glass, a, a, like a nice glass of sake or whatever. Yeah. And I'm good, you know, and that's okay. And I wanted to create that kind of habit, you know, because we're in a neighborhood. Like mm. we're, we have a lot of residential. We also have a lot of shopping activity in the weekend. Like I, I feel like it's like the money spot, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's that was really like the inspiration there. <laughs> yeah. And then the the name is amazing. You know, it's it's catchy. Like you can remember it. How did you guys come up with the name? So we, oh my God, we came up with so many different iterations of it, but ended up landing on Bone Kettle because we were cooking these massive bones in mm. these larger than life kettles. I mean, they are very big, right? Mm-hmm. And so just looking at that and like, you know what? We're just going to call it that. Like, I didn't want to call it some kind of Asian name. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, like it, it, to me, I mean, even Indonesians now, like that, they approach me. I get, you know, we get a lot of press from the Indonesian community because they feel like we're, like we're representing them, yeah, and it's true. really great. But they always ask that too because, like, I don't ever even thought this was like an Indonesian-owned place. Right. right That's the right. whole thing because we wanted to be like a space that was um, inviting, curious, um, and something that was not defined by the name necessarily mm. you know what i mean like th- mm. from a cultural perspective mm. and it's boundless mm. because like it's not limiting you know what i mean um because if i were to do it like an indonesian name like i would have to be forced to just do an indonesian style i cuisine. see i see and actually we did we were initially trying to do like just indonesian only but i realized that you know like there's so many exciting cuisines in Southeast Asia that bleeds into one another. Mm. And the community of South, the Southeast Asian community is so underrepresented as a whole. Oh, seriously. I mean, seriously. It's not like, it's like, it's not like Japanese cuisine or Korean cuisine. No, I agree. More readily available. It's, this is before the rise of Lhasa and, um, you know, Mamster and like these great restaurants that were just phenomenal, right? Mm. Um, We, we were, we wanted to just be like a place, a home for Filipinos, Laotian, Malaysian, Singaporean, Indonesian to feel pride, you know, to feel like they have like a place that they can connect to. Um, they can take their grandma if they're their grandma's birthday or whatever. Right, right. But they also can take their date who maybe not from the same culture and they want to introduce them. Like this is like an introduction for you. And then if we want to dive deeper into the culture, we can go into more of the authentic places that are kind of more deeper and yeah. more of that authentic stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like more of that introduction gateway. And mm. I like that. Mm. So mm-hmm. No, I think it's a, it's a terrific name. Honestly, I love the name. I love that you're focusing not just on Indonesian, but Southeast Asian 
yeah. regions because they do spill over a lot. I think they borrow a lot of inspiration from each other already. Um, so there's a lot of crossover. But as a whole, you're right. They're so severely underrepresented uh, in comparison to East Asian countries like yeah. Korea, China, Japan. So I, I mean, obviously a good call on that. Um, yeah. What's making sense for me now is when I entered the restaurant for the first time, I actually went during um, COVID. It was like the height of COVID. I think you like blocked it <laughs> off. It was like a grocery store. I was like, what the hell's going on, you know? But um, yeah. I was so floored by just the interior design and your logo and your branding. And then I went to the website. I was like, what the hell is going on? Like everything is so nice. Like the experience and just the visuals are amazing. But now knowing that you always had an interest in art and, and you were creative, it, it, it's beginning to make sense. So can you talk a little bit about just the creative direction behind this project yeah. and just the brand identity, interior design. I'm just, yeah, I, I, I love I, everything. I love that you touch on that because I really, actually during the COVID pandemic, it really crushed a lot of people. Mm. Um, when I went around to my neighboring restaurants, I went to like a lot of my own places, like the places that I would go to, it feels so desolate, right? It yeah. feels like very sad. Like there were just chairs stacking up. Yeah, they really didn't right. know what the hell they're doing. <laughs> like yeah. boxes of supplies outside, very visible to the customer. But we weren't ourselves. Like we were, we were beat up. Like we were not, we were not putting our best foot. You know, actually, the the whole like chaos was actually our best foot. Mm. You know what I mean? And I didn't want to show that. Like I'm so glad that you touch on that because I really wanted to like wanted to manifest success even across different levels because different than another different than many different restaurants that are out in LA that are funded by VC or whatever. I'm yeah. we're self-funded. Right. So we're used to struggling. We're yeah. used to kind of in this survival mode situation. So I I took it upon myself like this is an opportunity for me to shine. Mm. So like instead of wallowing in defeat, I'm gonna clean up the space. Mm. We're gonna hire, we're gonna put in, we're gonna put our employees to work. We're going to re refocus the space into a, a, a boutique mm. to showcase some of the things that we have, mm. to showcase some of our makers. Yeah, it was great. Our vineyards, our vineyard. I literally told, told all my wine sellers, I know you guys are not selling. Okay, so give me all of your, um, your outdated <laughs> wines at a, at a cost yeah. and I will sell it. I will sell volumes for you. Yeah. And I'm going to do a huge deal. Dude, it was like four for a hundred, right? Yes. That was such a such you know what I mean? deal. Yeah. And it was a great deal and and everybody wins. Yep. And then you can funnel all your all your stuff to me and then I'm going to help you out. Genius. You know what I mean? And then I would tell like I would just basically kind of like pivot my space into that because we couldn't even utilize the inside into uh, inside dining so we needed to maximize it because we're still technically quote unquote paying for it. Mm, right? Cuz mm. you know there's just the landlords are also hurting too. It's like, they're also a business as well. And our landlord happens to be, they have a mortgage. Mm. So, and I, I'm empathetic of that. I understand like moratorium, whatever, but like, they're also pressed. Like, what are they going to do? Mm. You know what I mean? So I'm empathetic on that, you know, on my end. And so I just like, I just wanted to kind of just shine through positivity. You know, I think detail is about love energy. Um, like showing that you care about specific, like even every part of the website, like where I showcase like our story, uh, the products that we carry, because we really care and we're really particular about every single thing that we put into the space because it's like an expression, you know? Um, and also 
it's 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 part of like you know like I was talking about like how my aspiration was always to be an artist. Mm-hmm. You're right. This is me creating art for the new me. Like this is like my new version of creating art. Yep. Um, brand and design and experience is my new medium. Mm. You know, and it's to me like it's just so so important for me to continue to be creative. Even in this difficult time, even in this struggle, because actually artists do their best work in their struggle. Mm, I agree with that. And I have to take every opportunity to show my level of creativity because that's who I am. Yeah. And that's that's what's going to make our business stand out. And actually, it really resonated to a lot of people. Like People love that. Mm. People love that, that glimpse of hope because when they came into our space, they, they saw normalcy. Mm. They saw that this restaurant embraced the change. Mm. This restaurant not only embraced the change, but they actually bloomed mushrooms with this change. Like they actually created a new yeah. enterprise outside of the change to celebrate. You know, like we did like all kinds of alternative revenue like throughout the, the pandemic. I mean, that was just, be- that was like part of the creativity. 100%. You know what I mean? And I I actually secretly loved it. Mm. Even though it was a really difficult time, it kind of leveled the playing field for a lot of us who mm. were, we didn't have the $20,000 PR marketing support. Mm. We didn't have like the um, flashy, glossy, like a photographer that we have on retainer. I mean, we have great um, partners that are on retain- retainers, but they were not like, you know, the Bon, bon Appetit, like the gourmet magazine right, that yeah. like continues to pump. Like I did my own, we did our own social media and with like a few help and stuff like that. So it's like, it was very, it was very evident, you know, that we're, that we had to be, that it's like a really good opportunity for me, like to shine in, in, in like an even playing field capacity. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, no, yeah. it does. I mean, also just, just to put it on blast, you honestly, I've interviewed a lot of people and I've seen a lot of web, you have the best website I've seen so Thank far. You. <laughs> like, I'm just going to go on the show and say you have and everybody, every restaurant operator or aspiring operator, you got to go check out this website. I know it might change in a little bit because I, you're optimizing it for SEO, but at this moment in time, it is the way it looks right now. And I know it's going to get even better, but Boomkettle.com. Wow. Um, I found <laughs> Thank you. I found I found the thing that I told you about. It's the about page. So if you go to the about page, this detail of like when you <laughs> scroll up, the table like follows, goes up, but then the background stays. Like you don't know how that much excites me. Just because as someone who pours a lot of love into the little detail yeah. that no one will ever notice, like I feel like thank you for noticing. <laughs> no, but I know, but like I think it's this is why you do it, right? It's like yes. you, you do this so then this one person gets so like pumped. I'm really pumped about this. Like you don't understand. I appreciate I, it. Yeah, I just I really appreciate the amount of work you put into this digital space, and I hope that more operators put more of their time and effort into telling their stories and their menus and. On your website, you know, it, it, I just, it baffles me how many operators don't spend the, the time and money it, that the website deserves. It's, it's a first impression for, for many, right? For this restaurant, especially yeah. in this day and age. Yeah, so. absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, we're, we're even exploring other mediums now, you know, because then the generation, there's like new generations. Of oh consumers. yeah. This is like another, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. We were kind of even exploring, like, how do we do TikTok tastefully? You know, how do we do like Instagram video t- tastefully. Like these are things that are the new frontier um, 
for us, it's an exciting challenge. I'm not familiar with creating in that space, but that kind of that challenge excites me. Yeah. So that's that's the next frontier for me. Yeah. <laughs> Let me know when you figured it out because I'm just, <laughs> just like a whole another. Same. You know, oh we, uh, it's just like about hiring. I think the next generation of makers. That's true. Too, that's true. They're they're more adept with that's the true. with the tools. Yeah. <laughs> The other thing I noticed, Eric, is January 2017 was when you opened. So congratulations on five years. I mean, that's that's an amazing uh, milestone for any restaurant. So thank you. That's amazing. Um, could you reflect a little bit about that? Like five is five is a pretty amazing accomplishment. So I'm just curious to see, like, if you looked back on the last five years, like, do you see it as a successful restaurant in your definition? And then, you know, what is there else to do in terms of the work that you want to put into this? This building and sustaining this restaurant transformed me. Mm. So to say that, like, to what to reflect on the last five years, like, I've, I'm such a different person today. It really morphed me into somebody, somebody else. Mm. Um, of course, like my because it's a family business. That's the first thing that comes up to my mind is because my relationship really evolved. You know, um, I've been with. I've been a partner with my brother for since the beginning of our entrepreneurship, mm -hmm. but this restaurant was like the two of us and then my dad, right? Mm. So it's extremely intimate. It was the deepest fall and the highest high. Mm. So mm. that you, can you imagine doing it with anybody else, but the people that you love, mm. you know what I mean? Of course, like it's really difficult at times because it's extremely passionate, right? But like, what an invigorating feeling that you went through such a insane relate like experience with the people that you that you're the closest to because yep. they have their they have your back. You realize how much love and passion they have, um, and you understand one another. And I I hope I'm a better listener than I was in the the last five years. Mm. Mm. Awesome. You know what I mean? I hope I'm a better listener and. I hope I'm a better manager too because I made a lot of mistakes. Um, I still do, you know, and I'm I'm learning. And I think that's one of the things that I like to be. Like I want to be a constant learner mm. when it comes to becoming when it comes to be a leader. Like I don't want to be like that that leader that tells that say that I am the ultimate uh, guiding light of truth, you know. Mm. Um, and the business is changing and evolving constantly. Yep. And I am changing with it. So if I were to reflect, it's like so much emotion. Um, I realized the kind of love and passion and commitment that I have for my business partners. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate how far I've come. Yep. The question I have for you, Eric, and this is a personal question. How do you yeah. do it all, man? How do you... <laughs> Like, how do you, because you, we, we've touched on the fact that you also have your full-time day job at the division at Sony Music. Yes. And um, what people may not know is your partner in Super Coffee, uh, amazing mm -hmm. hip hop concept cafe um, that also went through a ton of pivots during the pandemic. Yeah. Um, and a partner in Bone Kettle. So, I, but beyond that, is there anything, is there anything else I did not cover? <laughs> Thank you. And I think it's about kind of having understanding your bandwidth. So when I took on this job, what I love about my my work right now is that it's a hundred percent remote. So it enabled me to be on site um, at Bone Kettle working even mm. in the morning. Mm. Um, Bone Kettle is also only open for dinners primarily right? and in the weekend. Right. So it really enabled me to be completely focused on the task mm. 
and also you know handling day-to-day business things in the office so i'm i'm present and i'm i'm ha- you know and i work new york time uh for for my day job so it really enabled me to be 100% wow with the task um before when i was actually it was way harder before when i was working at nbc because it was number one it was a full time commitment job so i can only actually be at komodo once a week mm. i can't imagine dedicating only once a week for a business a passion project yeah that you have to be there and and you know you 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 know you recognize the detail that i put in like how can you be that detailed when you are only once a week that's true you can't be that detailed and not continue to maintain it because the the employees even though we have great employees they're not going to care the level of detail that you do you have to continue to drill it down you have to continue to like push it push yeah. that envelope yeah. further like are you wearing black socks today? like you know like little details like that even if it's not like a fine dining like right. 11 medicine park kind of status but i still care about those little nuances no, because it really is like critical for me you know for the longevity and the brand of our business yeah and um it was impossible like i think that's one of the reasons why it was so chaotic for me in the beginning of my time working was because i was stretched in mm. and so yeah. after you know after 10 plus years of work and and having this dual life you start to get better at having to mm. know what is your boundary mm. i okay so i need to have at least what do i need to feel recharge like mm. so that's the thing too like uh, i can do one day or i can do half day and then i can kind of pick like a day that i feel is the best day for me to coordinate with my business partners and then i have some time to travel you know like we create a schedule at Bone Kettle where we close on a lot of holidays. Mm. So we pr- we pretty much like create this business to fit our lifestyle. Like mm. I'm my own boss so I can create my own what I what I you know what I feel is valuable for my mental health, you know, and also for my own balance. Mm. And so it's like dictating what's right for you, you know, even if it's super busy, like staying organized, um having good people surrounding you that you can delegate um responsibility and like i actually empower some of my servers to do accounting so they can in, you can they can input invoices they can check um receivables they can do in like um inventory shopping so i empower them to do some of these tasks because it's part of like what makes our business successful is that everybody takes it like it's their business um and in that frees my time to do what i want to do and to do what I'm titled to do because when you're running a business you're not just doing the day to day you're actually continuing the vision you're putting that vision into work and you're architecting the plan if you're so knee deep into the task you have no time to think ahead and to architect the plan yeah. and so to me it was so critical for me to delegate right i am i am all about empowering people with skills to get shit done because like I don't I'm not a thousand people. I'm only one person and I am also not perfect. So I'm going to hire people who are good at what their job and and delegate. Mm. I have I have a team who does all Yelp reviews. I have team who does like big reservations. So like I just feel empowered by the fact that I'm able to break down my roles, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's like I think the measure the my recipe is like it's just it's really just creating a structure that works for you delegating and then not giving up on the things that you want to do and what you love because like you can make it work <laughs> yeah 
yeah, you're a prime example of that. So I, yeah. I appreciate you sharing that, you know, because as someone I'm personally trying to juggle like a million things, I'm sure everyone listening is is doing more than one thing, especially in this economic climate. You just kind of have to, right? So yeah, um, I really appreciate you touching on that. In terms of just what's ahead for you, what are you what are you looking forward to the most, especially this year and just in the near future? I'm just looking forward to experimenting with new things. Like I think part of the reason why I'm in this business is because I like that level of challenge and creativity and always pushing. Mm -hmm. To me, I'm always like improving. I'm always learning something new. And so the opportunity to innovate and to, to kind of branch out is exciting to me. Um, I don't have anything specific in terms of a new project that's that's in the horizon because we're in still a recovery mode right yeah of course but you know we're enjoying enjoying the uh the the world coming back yeah and um and the, nor the kind of the small glimpse of normalcy starting to trickle in yep i'm curious to see like what what is it going to be like yeah right like after after everything is completely rolled out and awesome. what changes do we have to make in order for us to sustain the the, the volume yeah people's mindsets are going to evolve and we have to evolve with it. And yep. so, yeah, I think I'm just looking forward to that and, and thriving. I'm, I'm looking forward to thriving and I'm, I'm not, you know, we're, we're really done in a survival mindset perspective. We're just, we're moving forward and looking forward to building, Yeah, you know, Amazing. building ahead. Amazing, man. <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to dinner tonight and seeing you. <laughs> Thank but, you. Yeah. Uh, but honestly, thank you so much for just your time and all your wisdom and knowledge that you shared today. Like it's, it's, I think something that a lot of people um, should hear, need to hear. Um, but uh, you know, I know you're busy as well. So thanks for just creating this time for this conversation. My pleasure. Yeah. Thank you so much, Eric, for being on the podcast. Um, after I interviewed Eric, we actually went to Bone Kettle right after for dinner, myself and Calvin, who is the photographer and videographer behind all of the LA episodes recently that we've been doing. We're actually on, this is episode number 60. So, um, and Calvin is, is also Indonesian. So for him, it was a very comforting, nostalgic meal. As for myself, I was really inspired by the design, the decor, the details into the art that was hung all the way down to the chairs. Uh, I noticed that Eric was very hands-on in the dining room as well as was um, as well as his dad. Kudos to you, Eric. Love how you're running the place uh, and your ethos behind it. And I can tell that you take a lot of pride in that restaurant. So for people that are listening and haven't been to Bone Kettle, definitely would recommend. Um, if you ever find yourself in Pasadena or in that neighborhood, it is, it is a must-go restaurant. So thank you so much for tuning in and we'll see you next week on Weekly Welcome. Bye.